And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outlimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So I know what the, some of you are probably thinking. What the hell was up with that show last week about the psychological and spiritual ramifications of killing someone? Have you lost your mind? You know what? That show was inside of me for about three years. I, I wanted to get it done. I knew what we had to get it done. And I knew we were going to hell. So I just, you know, we had to get it out there. You listen to The Outer Limits of Inner Truth because, you know, we were not afraid to look at the facts and look at the scary side of reality. So to counterbalance that lovely show on death is a show today about confronting and facing fear. And it is lovely. It's got a featured guest. It's been with us for a very long time. And I want to talk to you a little bit about fear. When I was with my father recently, he said, you know, in order to go inside a store, you have to you have to put the mask on. And at that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, and I'm never going to wear this mask ever. And I walked inside a store in Delaware, and no one said anything to me. And then I walked inside Chipotle, and two people said, "You, where, sir, where's your mask? And I was like, you know what? I've got a medical exemption. And they wouldn't go near me. And they left me alone. And you should do that. You should look at what stores say that if you have a medical exemption, that you don't have to wear a mask. And I've been doing it a lot. And I'll tell you what, it feels fantastic. I never, I love to breathe. That is one of my passions in life. It is breathing and it is being alive. And in order to be alive, you have to breathe. And they put, they want you to wear the mask. Wear the mask! It's gonna stop the coronavirus. And I think it's a bunch of crap. And I was listening to Dr. Ron Paul today, and he said, first off, the masks are very counterproductive. And also, they are a symbol of submission to tyranny. God, this is that guy should be uh, the president, I think, Dr. Ron Paul. But he's always teaching. He's 85 years old. And he's teaching us. So, one of my fears was walking into a store without the mask and dealing with the, with a bunch of Karens and people going crazy, and it didn't happen. And one thing I, I do is when I'm in the stores without the mask, I always am polite to people. I try to make the cashiers laugh. I try to just be polite. I want them to have a positive experience. It is a rush. You confront your fears. I guarantee you, you feel great. Let us begin today's show. Welcoming back to the show is the very first guest we ever interviewed on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth. That's why every time he comes back, it's uh, so significant. 
Please welcome back Jeffrey Gurian. Call him a renaissance man. He's a former cosmetic dentist. He's a professional comedian, comedy writer, author, healer. I mean, there's pretty much there's nothing that Jeffrey doesn't do. So if we listed all of his titles, we'd be doing the intro for 10 minutes. But I want to give you some of those titles. A little more about Jeffrey by going to his website at ComedyMattersTV.com. Jeffrey, welcome back. How are you, sir? Thank you so much, Ryan. It's so good to be on with you. And congratulations on all the success that you've had with the podcast. It just shows that hard work pays off. Thank you. Also, bribing people pays off. If you give, if you give <laughs> I didn't want to say that. But I was trying to stay positive. positive. I'll let you do that. I can't help it. I can't help it. Well, today we're going to talk about your new book. It's called Fight the Fear. Overcoming obstacles that stand in your way, and I think that that book is so relevant right now because it seems like the world is inundated and saturated with fear. So first thing I want to do is I want to go to your, your the first uh, chapter of the book and just basically identify what is the essence of fear. The essence of fear, obviously, fear is not a tangible thing, but it's something that is imbued inside of many of us. And I'll speak for myself, you know. I came from a very loving and supportive family, but for some reason I grew up filled with fear. And I remember very clearly as a child, you know, my first fear that I remember was being afraid of the dark. And I hated it. I hated having those fears. Uh, when I was six or seven years old, I started stuttering, and I stuttered through my 20s and beyond. I must have been a very nervous kid. I stuttered so badly that I couldn't even say my name. I could never say Gurian. And most stutterers have a hard time saying their own name. But uh, for whatever reason, you know, and to jump ahead before I go back to that, I work a lot of, uh, with people in 12-step programs. And people who are addicted to substances very often are engulfed with fear. One of the, you know, if you're familiar with the spiritual programs, the 12-step programs, one of the things that they tell people, they fight against a hundred forms of fear. And for whatever reason, I, I'm never quite sure I had so many forms of fear. Everything made me nervous. One of the things that could have started was my mother kept me in a crib till I was six and a half years old. Can you believe that? <laughs> Who does that? Who keeps wow. a child in a crib till they were six and a half? I remember very clearly my grandfather bought me my first two-wheeler bike, and I climbed out of my crib to get on the bike and try it out. And... As you know, in later years, I asked my mom, why'd you keep me in a crib till I was six and a half? It was a space thing. Thank God my sister was finally born or I'd still be in the crib today. <laughs> you know, it was crazy. But something made me confront my fears. I hated being afraid so much and I was very overprotected. I wasn't allowed to cross the street by myself until I was older. My mother would walk me to school. I was always afraid that something was going to happen to me. And um, I made myself go in the dark to make myself to to disengage myself from the fear of being in the dark. And I did things which I've spoken to psychologists in recent years, and they told me that it was very unusual for me to have such mind control. I had I, I used to have a recurrent dream that one of my grandmothers. I had two very loving grandmothers. And I had a dream that one of them would take me to this very scary place and leave me there. And I knew in real life that she would never do that. But I had this dream over and over again. 
And it disturbed me so much that one night in the dream, while I was in the dream, I said to her, you're not my grandmother, this is just a dream. I knew I was dreaming while I was in the dream. And, and I stopped having the dream after that. And I've told that story to psychiatrists and psychologists because I've been on the board of this group called the Association for Spirituality and Psychotherapy for 20 years. And it, they're all classically trained psychotherapists except for me. And they accepted my work. But when I told them that story, they said, it's very rare for a child to have that ability to control their mind that much, that they can say something in a dream about them actually dreaming. And that's what I did. And so I had to confront fear through my whole life. And um, I had these negative feelings about myself, which again, I'm not sure where they came from. The stuttering certainly didn't help. And when it came time to go to college, you know, I, I made myself run for the president of the freshman class. And it was a very big college. It was fed in by seven different high schools. And I only knew the kids from my high school. And I was considered popular, but I never really felt it because I was two years younger than everybody else. I started school at four and a half, and I skipped the eighth grade, which they allowed you to do in those days if you had good grades, if they thought you were smart. And I just didn't feel part of, and I told myself that if I could win that election, I wouldn't have to stutter anymore. And it was a great lesson for me because I won the election. I was the president of the freshman class of Hunter College, and I still stuttered. And it taught me that outside validation in life doesn't work. It doesn't matter how many people compliment you and tell you that you're wonderful and talented and fantastic. It matters what you think of yourself. And I, I, I went on, I started on this journey realizing that if I was going to ever stop stuttering and conquer my fear of speaking, that I would have to do it on my own because my parents had sent me for speech therapy and no one was able to help me. And I worked for years to get to the point. As you can hear, I've been given the grace to figure out how to stop stuttering. Well, what is this? Because of this experience, I mean, what, did you, what lessons do you think people could take from this experience you had here and transcend their own fears? Well, mostly that you can conquer fear through thought, that you have to be able to examine your thoughts, which is not easy to do, to be objective with your thinking. So when I was in school and, and I was bullied by the instructors, and it sounds strange to say that, I understand that. People don't know what that's like to be bullied on a daily basis. I, I had grown a mustache. This was back in the 70s. That's how long ago it was. And I grew a mustache and sideburns because that's what people in New York were doing at the time. And they wanted me to drop out of school because of that. And my advisor actually told me that I was a disgrace to the profession. And I graduated number 54 out of 126. I had to work so hard. But because they gave me these negative thoughts about myself, they told me I would never be successful, that I would never have patience that would come to me. All of those things were false. And I grew up thinking that I would never have the things that other people had. I thought I, I was in my 20s. I was like 22 years old when they told me this. I thought I would never be married and never have a family and never have a successful practice. I had all these negative thoughts which created a lot of fear. Plus, I have ADD. And for people who are listening, it's a very common thing that people have. These days they call it ADHD. It causes a lot of confusion, and confusion leads to fear. And in order to conquer these fears, I had to take control of my mind.
That's how I learned how to stop stuttering. I had to release negative thoughts that I was holding that were not valid for me. Okay. And every single one of us is holding thoughts that are not valid. They are thoughts that were given to us by people who didn't have our best interests at heart. Well, which, what about today? I mean, most people seem like they're, they were in perpetual state of fear because of uh, the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. And it seems like it, just the, the collective fear of that overrides all other types of fear. So, Well, what, I'll give you a great sure. example of that. I had COVID pneumonia. I, I got sick in March when the pandemic was at its highest in New York City. We were the epicenter. And... You know, when I'm not performing comedy, I'm out covering the comedy scene, as you know. I've been doing that for 20 years. And I had been going to a lot of shows. Um, in early March, we had already heard about the, the pandemic, that it was coming. Nobody really knew what to do. Nobody was social distancing yet. Nobody was wearing masks. People were just concerned about it. I got sick on March 11th. Um, I was sick for two weeks before I had to call an ambulance. It was the worst that I've ever felt in my life. And I had a lot of fear because I had had a heart attack five years before. So I, that automatically put me in a high-risk category. And I was afraid to go to the, to, to the hospital because the hospitals were being overrun with patients. And they said, if you're in a high-risk category, the last place you want to be is in, 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 in an emergency room. But I was too sick. I couldn't wait anymore. And I had to call an ambulance, and they took me to a great hospital. I asked them to take me to a different hospital where my cardiologist was, and they took me to NYU Langone. And I mentioned the hospital because they saved me there. They they uh, they wheeled me into the emergency room, and they put me in a cubicle next to a woman who was screaming, literally screaming with every time, Jeez. every exhalation. And did you, did you tell him, like, listen, I, I asked for a room. I asked for the quiet room. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, you, you know, it, it was amazing because at the point that I went to the hospital, you know how normal blood pressure is 120 over 80? My 80 had dropped to 42. So my circulatory system was collapsing. I had fever that didn't stop. I had uh, body pain, full body pain. My body was shaking so bad at times they had to cover me with four blankets to stop the shaking and nausea from morning to night. I, I tell you, I was a wreck. I don't know how I survived that. The only thing that I kept, I was able to keep my breathing because luckily I had started myself on z -Pack. I kept it in the house because when the virus hit my throat on the third day, I had a sore throat. And whenever I got a sore throat, I always take z -Pack. I didn't know that that's what they were using in some hospitals with hydroxychloroquine. And they had that on hand and they gave that to me on my second day. But I want to talk about, the, you, you, you had asked me about conquering fear. So they put me in this cubicle next to a woman who's screaming. I had to take control of my mind because the natural thing is you start feeling sorry for yourself. Like, why did this happen to me? And why am I stuck here in this cubicle? And I had to flip the thought and think about that woman and say how scared or how much pain she must have been in in order to be in that state because it was really bothering me. And I wanted to ask them to move me, but there was no place they could put me. They were already putting people in the hallways. When they finally found a room for me, they were, they were actually thinking of sending me home. And then they took an x-ray of my lungs 
and, a, and an ultrasound of my lungs, and they diagnosed me with COVID double pneumonia. And it really hit me as a shock. Talk about fear in the yeah, middle of the double pandemic. Double pneumonia. I'm, wow. I'm laying there, and they tell me a pulmonary specialist came to see me, and he said, I'm sorry to tell you, you have COVID double pneumonia. They had me on oxygen. They were concerned about bringing down my fever, which at the time was 102.4. They put me in isolation for two days, and they started me on that hydroxychloroquine on the second day, double dose in the morning, double dose at night. And I want to talk about kindness also. Some of the nurses were so kind. They came to my bed. Only one person was allowed in my room at the time because it was so contagious. And they would sit with me, and they took my hand, and they said, you're going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to make it. And I can't tell you how important that is, what that means to somebody. It sounds so simple. But when you're that sick, I believe that we revert to childhood. You know, you feel like you need somebody to take care of you because you don't know what's going to happen to you. And on my third day, they put me in a room with three other very sick men. This was another time I had to fight the fear. I had to take control of my mind. They put me next to a man, and I don't know if they were kidding or not. They told me he was from Wuhan in China. Jeez, right? you're like eight. A ball play, right? It was a room for four people, and he was a very elderly man who didn't speak English. He only spoke Chinese. And I had to call the nurse on his behalf. I thought he was dying. I never heard anybody choking like that, and he was coughing into the air. And I'm laying next to him. And all that's between us is this thin curtain. And there was no place that they could put me. And again, I had to take control of my mind because when you're in a negative state, your immune system drops. You can't fight off infection. Your, your, your vibration drops. When you're in a very positive state, when you're happy, when you're enjoying comedy, when you're having fun, your vibration is high and your immune system is functioning much better. So I, in order for me to survive, I had to take control of my mind and block out the circumstances that I was in. Because there's a tendency to think, why me? Why has this happened to me? But the, the spiritual answer is, why not me? Whoever promised that my life was supposed to be perfect, right? Whoever told you that nothing's ever supposed to happen to you? So I had to do that, and I had to, I had to strengthen myself because... You're there alone. Nobody's allowed to visit you. You know, they announced on Sirius XM radio, Ron Bennington, where I used to be a regular on the show, announced on the radio that I was in the hospital. And I started to get hundreds and hundreds of messages from people um, in the comedy community, listeners from the show, fans of comedy. And I, I was too sick to answer anybody, but I can't tell you how much that meant. So do you think that that, that kind of helps you if people focus their attention on you, that that can alleviate your fear as well? Yeah, for sure. Support is very important. Fear, fear is not, it's not a tangible thing. It's not real very often. You know, there's certain things you're supposed to be afraid of. You're supposed to be afraid of doing dangerous things. I don't want to jump out of planes, but I have fears of traveling, right? So... I make myself do what I'm afraid of. If I think if the rest of the world could do it comfortably, I have to do it. So I made myself go to Europe alone twice. And it was very difficult for me because crazy stuff happens to me that doesn't happen to other people. 
I'm in the airport. Listen to this now. I'm in the airport, and I have to get something out of my suitcase. And I'm closing my suitcase, and the tip of my sport jacket gets caught in the zipper of my luggage, and I can't get it out. And I'm attached to my suitcase. And I have to run through the airport like a spider, like Groucho Marx used to run, like very low. I have to run through the airport to catch my plane attached to my suitcase. Theoretically, that shouldn't even be able to happen to a person. But those kind of things happen to me on a regular basis. When I, when I got to Spain, I finally got my jacket. <laughs> I had to rip it, right? When I got to Spain, my suitcase wouldn't open. I had to break my suitcase to get my clothes out. Those are the kind of strange things that happen to me. Well, you know? I don't know what we're thinking. What about, you mentioned in your book, Chapter 9, Fighting the Fear of Spiritual Approach. What are some of the best ways to fight your fear from a metaphysical perspective? To understand that everything is your path. You can't only believe in spiritual principles when it's convenient. That's too easy. You know, when things are going great in your life, it's, it's really simple to say, oh, yeah, well, I'm a very spiritual person and I believe in this. It's when it feels like nothing is going right in your life, when things are falling apart, that spiritual principles become very important. And let me, let me clarify that, and I'm sure your audience knows this, but that spirituality has nothing to do with religion that religion can be wonderful for people, but it tends to divide us by putting us in a category. And spirituality brings us all together because all it asks is that you believe in a force greater than yourself. And you could call it nature or the universe or God, whatever is comfortable for you, as long as you know that it isn't you. Because when you think that you're controlling everything in your life, then when things don't go the way you'd like them to go, you tend to blame yourself and you say, well, I should have done this and I could have done that. And you start living in the past, thinking about all the things that you could have done and should have done. And then you start worrying about the future. It creates fear, like what's going to happen to me? How am I going to get through this? What if this happens again? And meantime, you're losing the now, you're losing the present. So you have to understand that your life is on a path. One of the spiritual principles is if you don't get something that you really want, it's not because you're being punished, even though other people may seem to get it easily and you can't get it. It's not because you're being punished. It's because you're supposed to have something better than that. And if you got the thing that you wanted, you wouldn't be available for the really good thing that's coming to you. But you have to have patience, which is, it's not a, a human trait, really. We tend not to have patience. We want everything right away, you know? And so... This is a way of thinking, of incorporating this kind of a thought into your thinking. So when I'm laying there in the hospital with a heart attack or I'm laying there in the hospital with COVID, double pneumonia, I have to tell myself, this is my path. For whatever reason, this is my path right now, and I'm going to have to go through it, and it's going to make me stronger in some way. And I pray, I ask for guidance, you know, Last year, at this time, I went to Japan alone, all alone. It was the scariest thing I ever did. It was like a 14-hour flight. My Japanese was very limited. I took level one three times. When I got there, I was lost every day. Every, it's a very difficult place to travel in. The subway systems are impossible. And I made myself go on the subway every day, and I was lost. And getting lost is one of my worst fears. But I confront it because the alternative is terrible. 
If you let fear overcome you, fear is a bully. And if you let fear overcome you, you'll never achieve your dreams. You'll never accomplish anything. You okay, want to well, stay home and pull the covers up. You want to stay in bed and pull the covers over your head. I want to ask you how that applies to coronavirus, because there are some people who don't leave their house, who are afraid all the time. And you know, there's some new things that come out all the time that, that say that, well, maybe things aren't as bad as what they originally perceived them to be. But I mean, just that nonstop fear from the media, I think it's probably holding some people back. So how do people overcome the fear of not only the fear that's being blasted out of the media airwaves, but fear by uh, the the people around them who are kind of emulating the fear, who, you know, they're, they're walking around acting like this, you know, this thing's got a 99% kill rate. I mean, I know you survived it and you overcame it, but I'm wondering if the fear itself is causing more people to have more illnesses because they're in that state all the time. And I'm just wondering how they would, how they could overcome that. How could they overcome collective group fear? Well, look, I, I have too much experience with that, unfortunately. You know, when I first, when I came out of the hospital, the only reason they let me go was not because I was better. It was because I was well enough that I could continue recuperating at home. I was sick for about two months with this thing. If, if I hope no, no one listening ever gets it, but it's normal to have fear once you've been that sick. I was afraid for quite a while to leave the house uh, because it's a really scary thing and it's a deadly infection if you get it. You know, I was just very lucky, like I said, that they had that hydroxychloroquine, which has been banned for whatever reason. They made it political, but... It, it certainly helped me, and I was very relieved to know that the hospital was using it at the time. Um, as long as you take precautions, I mean, you know, fear can stop you. I can understand why there are people who are afraid. Um, it's not an abnormal fear. It's not like a fear of like if you step on a crack, something's going to happen to you. There's a reason to have some fear about it. But if you take normal precautions and you don't go into crowds and you protect yourself, you can leave the house. It took me a while to leave the house. I have to be honest with you. Um, the first time I went out, I wore two masks. I couldn't even breathe. I, wore, I would have worn three masks. I, I, wore, I wore two masks and gloves because I was afraid to touch anything. Uh, I want to say that when I first came home for the first couple of months, I had a very kind neighbor who went out shopping for me and left my food in front of my door. I live in a very big building with doormen. They all wear masks. They had the concierge desk was roped off so you couldn't get close to it to ask a question. You had to stay like six feet away because around March or April, it was very new. Nobody knew what to do. To this day, a lot of people don't know what to do. And confusion causes fear. You know, people were like herd animals in a sense. If one person is afraid... You can feel it in someone else. It's like if you go into a crowded room and one person is happy, you can feel that. And if one person is angry, you can also feel that. If an argument breaks out or something, even if you don't hear it, you can feel the tension. We're, we're all very sensitive to things like that. So there's an element of fear in society right now, not only here, but all around the world. You know, no one's ever experienced anything like this before. So a normal amount of fear is okay. The kind of fear that I talk about is the fear that stops you from accomplishing things in your life. The fear that tells you that you're not enough. It tells you 
that you don't look right, that you're not smart enough, that you're too tall or too small or too heavy or too thin. It, it gives you limitations. And that's the kind of fear that I want people to fight. You know, not to not to go out and endanger yourself just to prove that you can do that. You know, r- riding in uh, race cars at 200 miles an hour. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a lot of people who are engulfed with fear. And a lot of addicts and alcoholics especially are battling fear all the time. And there's no one answer for where it comes from. A lot of times it comes from our childhood. Most things come from our childhood. It's very rare to suddenly develop a lot of fears as an adult. But it can happen if you've had a traumatic experience. You know, trauma is trapped inside of our body. If you're familiar with the concept of cellular memory, I'm fascinated by it. And my first book, you know, this book, Fight the Fear, is the the second book in what I call the happiness series. The first book was Healing Your Heart by Changing Your Mind, a spiritual and humorous approach to achieving happiness. And that's about thought, about letting go of all the thoughts that cause us problems in our lives. It's involved with fear. The second book, you know, Fight the Fear, is about how to battle that fear by controlling your mind. Literally, that's what it is. As you see, we've been speaking for a while. I, I have no problem speaking, and I'm not stuttering. And that's a miracle, because if I hadn't been given the grace to figure out that there was really nothing wrong with me, you know, and I assume that you're familiar with the serenity prayer, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, which is the most important line, excuse me, the wisdom to know the difference. If I wasn't granted the wisdom to know that I didn't have to stutter, I would still be stuttering today. But I realized that one day that I, I didn't stutter when I was alone. I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to somebody else, which told me you can't have a disability based on your location, right? A man with a limp limps in every room of his house. He can't go into the room and close the door and walk perfectly. But if I could speak fine when I'm alone, then it means there's really nothing wrong with me. And I had to work that out in my head. I had to work on myself for years until I could release myself from that. So I subject myself to the fear all the time because so many things are uncomfortable for me. And how I explain it is I confront my uncomfortability on a daily basis. I don't let anything stop me. If you can do it, I have to be able to do it. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Gordon, I want to thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your perspectives and insights. And Jeffrey's new book is called Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. It's on Amazon. We'll send you links to the book. You can also learn more about Jeffrey by going to his website at ComedyMattersTV.com. Jeffrey, thank you so much. We always love having you. Brian, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I always appreciate it. And the time goes so fast it when we does. talk. It does. It absolutely does. It just flies by, but I really appreciate it. Yeah, my books are on Amazon, and it's available as an ebook and a paperback. And I hope that I said something that could inspire people to overcome lot. whatever fear is standing in their way, because fear is a bully, and don't let it stop you. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our beloved guest and dear friend, Jeffrey Gurian. I love you so much, bro. I'm so happy you are alive. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, Miss Lisa McGarity, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>